Hello and welcome to Lifetimes of Learning, a production at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia. In our podcast series, we'll be discussing the teachings and principles of Buddha Dharma, which is just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago. In this podcast, we will cover Chapter 7 of the book titled Bringing Wisdom to Life, authored by Anita Carter and Frank Carter. Published by Tableau Publishing in 2018. Copyright held by Buddhist Discussion Centre Upware Limited. Whether you are on the meditation cushion or on your way to work, we invite you to bring your mind inside and listen to the teachings of the Buddha. Chapter 7. Right Effort Nibbana may seem a long way off, something beyond what you see yourself being able to attain this life. However, attaining Nibbāna is what Buddhism is all about. Buddhism is the path to Nibbāna, the incomparable jewel that the Buddha revealed to humanity and the heavens which allows an escape from all suffering and ignorance. There are eight levels of Nibbāna starting from stream-enterer, where the practitioner's mind accesses nibbana or sees emptiness directly for the first time, leading after continued cultivation and realization to the full realization of enlightenment as an arahant, a fully enlightened bodhisattva or a sammasambodhasa Buddha. When a person accesses nibbana the first time, at that first instant, some of the most profound changes that can happen to any being in any birth immediately take place. From that day on, the person can no longer be born in any birth lower than a human birth. They will only have a maximum of seven more human lives before attaining full enlightenment. At that moment, all doubt in the Buddha and the Buddhist path is entirely removed. That person will no longer practice any empty ritual. They practice with mindfulness and understanding. The craving and sensual desire that have been habitual in their mind forever is substantially reduced. Attaining stream enter at this life is the target we need to discern and value for ourselves for our practice to develop power. It is part of what is means to have refuge in Buddha, Dharma and Sangha because it is the only real refuge that can ever be found. It's up to us, with the help of your teachers and the Arya Sangha who have attained Nibbana before us, to work out how we are going to do it. All the men and women that have realized Nibbana in the past had exactly what we have got, a suitable human birth and 24 hours per day. We are going to examine some of our dispositions, skills and attitudes, which could be helping or hindering us in making this transition from obtaining a small benefit from our Buddhist practice to realizing directly the profound purpose of the Buddha's teaching. Let us begin with examining what is known in Buddhist teachings as right energy. That is, that type of energy which will move us toward enlightenment. 
The following quote identifies types of energy that are profitable for Buddha Dharma practice. And this quote is by Geshe Rapton. The first is the energy of the mind that stops the desire for unprofitable things. If we have a strong desire for ordinary things disconnected from Dharma, it disrupts our Dharma practice. Although we have to do everyday things, if our fondness for them is greater than our fondness for Dharma, our attention is taken away from our main work. A person may concentrate and work very hard, but if the goal of all that effort is a worldly one, then according to Dharma, that person is lazy. People who really want to practice Dharma are in a hurry even when eating or excreting, so as not to waste time. This aspect of the perfection of energy speeds up quickly towards the final goal. Having energy for Dharma practice, the real purpose of life, prevents our being distracted by worldly goals. It protects us from all kinds of bad things. When we develop our wholesome mental states, we should do it wholeheartedly. By being wholehearted, we focus our energy into the wholesomeness rather than being half-hearted or distracted. Being half-hearted means some energy is still going to unwholesome minds. The following quote is by Hughes, J and Amos. The concept of right energy has many components in Buddhist practice. The meaning of right energy can be described as one who is pleased to perform virtuous actions. Doing good things happily generates the right energy. If you examine closely why people make wrong choices in life, often it is because they are using like and dislikes as the basis of their decision making. For example, when we attended school or university, we may have been doing five or six subjects each year. If we follow like and dislike as our system, we will focus our work and attention on those subjects we liked doing and liked learning, and we avoid or put little effort into those subjects we disliked. These choices can be self-defeating because maybe we need to do well in some difficult subjects for our future career. We only find the enjoyable subjects easy because of our past karma. In the past, we have worked in these areas and colonized these subjects or skills. One Buddhist teacher mentioned one day that when he went to secondary school, he generally found maths very easy. However, occasionally some parts of maths he found quite difficult. Subsequently, he saw the reason for this was that the maths he found very easy to learn this life were areas he had already studied and mastered in past lives. The parts he found difficult to learn were areas of maths which were not knowing and not taught when he was living in those pastimes, and therefore he had to learn them this life for the first time. So how can we progress if we only study those things we like and find easy? How is it wise use of energy to not do enough of the needed work and homework, and then as a result waste the years 
schooling. If we use that system at school, we are setting ourselves up for a difficult time when we leave school. Life is a series of choices, and we will frequently cause ourselves to be in the same dilemma as the example of the subject at school, as long as we follow like and dislike. It is the same with our practice. How many times do we choose to continue the practice of something we are already good at, yet avoid the things which seem harder to do? It's often our weakness, which will cause us our biggest. And most painful problems, a chain will always break at its weakest link. Buddhist practice includes recognizing our weakness and then identifying and applying a systematic way to overcome them. If our antidote is not deliberately and clearly formulated, it is most likely just another way to fail. The following quote is by Hughes J. Amos, there are at least two views. One, what do you do? Two, what do you not do? For the first heading, there are at least three views to be sequenced. Number one, what do you do now as a first priority? Number two, what do you do next as a second priority? Number three. What do you do next, after next, as a third priority? It is important in Buddha Dharma to get things in the right order. This is not self-evident; otherwise, no project in the world would ever fail. This is one reason why it is important to develop strong planning skills as a stable and sane platform from which to operate in the world and to become successful Dharma practitioners. Using a daily time planner gives us the opportunity to consider the options, to weigh up what is most important, what is urgent, what must be done, as against what we would like to do. The mind which does the planning is a different mind to the mind we have during the day when we are busy, distracted, attending to many things which came along and interrupt us. The mind which does the planning can look at things calmly. Dispassionately and clearly, it will naturally recognize what needs to be done and the sequence in which things need to be done much better than the mind we have when we are on the run. Also, it is much less likely to succumb to like and dislike as a method of decision making. Good time planning helps us avoid having to rush because we we are late for some event during our day. Rushing minds burn up energy at an unwise rate because they are turbulent and wild. We are driving ourselves with our foot hard on the accelerator pedal. Time planning has another really important advantage: it can stop us being at the mercy of how we feel. You may find you get a lot more done when you feel motivated and enthusiastic about the task. However, Relying on enthusiasm or being motivated is a very weak and unreliable platform to base your level of activity on. What happens when you feel tired and listless, or when you are feeling lazy or bored, or insecure, or depressed, or any of 
a whole list of alternatives to being motivated and inspired. What happens is we give up, or we work half-heartedly, or we find ways to distract ourselves, or procrastinate, or become bored and restless, or it seems like we don't have enough energy to do much. Skillful time planning short circuits all these alibis. Planning is a powerful method to override the influence of our negative minds. We abandon following the influence of an unwholesome mind because we have a more powerful alternative: follow the plan. By following a plan, it no longer matters whether we are feeling good or not, whether we are feeling energetic or not, whether we feel enthusiastic or lethargic. Is irrelevant to what we can achieve because we achieve what is written in our plan. Plan your week and keep a daily time planner with you at all times. We need very powerful methods to help us improve. We are not just seeking some small benefits by practicing Buddhism. Sometimes in life, we can experience incredible difficulties. It is no different on the Buddhist path, as we are also grappling to overcome powerful defilements and wrong views, which have kept us in samsara forever. Until we have reached some form of perfection of determination or resolution, we must build powerful skills as our weapons to conquer weaknesses we have never been able to conquer before. Most of these suggestions are aimed at increasing the seconds and minutes in each day, when we are consciously applying ourselves to an appropriate form of Buddhist training. We are seeking to reduce and eventually to eliminate our downtime. If we have met or read about a great Buddhist master or Buddhist teacher, it is very apparent that they have colonized all aspects of living within their Buddhist practice. They have trained themselves to apply the Dharma as their first priority at all times, without getting lost or caught up in the activity they are doing. They keep their minds composure not only with all the stuff we often get caught up in, such as being tired, busy, stressed, frustrated, or bored, but also from things we would normally regard as major problems or disappointments, or even tragedies. Our minds tend to strongly follow our old habits and karmic dispositions, and literally, our practice is a stop-start process. If we measure how many hours per day we are consciously being mindful, for example, this is a good indicator of the strength of our practice. One student at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia wrote the following recollection. I remember when I was helping to build the northern temple gate in our garden at our Dharma Center some years ago, recognizing that I was building the gate as a builder rather than building the gate as a practitioner of the Dharma. In the first instance, my full concerns and attentions were to do with building the gate, no different from any other builder essentially, no different to how I had built things before I became a Buddhist. The second instance was when my main priority was nothing to do with building; it was to do with maintaining mindfulness of my body and staying in the present, of not killing any insects as I moved around the construction area, of maintaining lightness of mind rather than being too heavy or serious. 
and of maintaining respect for the significance and purpose of the temple gate itself, of understanding that what I was doing with my time and effort was helping myself and others to wake up. Building the gate was how the practice manifested in activity. So, how can we reduce our own stop-start forms of practice, which appears to be a very common hindrance to many students of Buddhism? One effective method is to have a deliberate purpose or agenda in your mind when you interact with others, which encourage you to do many of the actions which are the Buddhist perfections. Put the intention or will in your mind that your purpose or objective is to build good relationships and harmony with each being you meet. That means you use the meeting with the next being you are about to meet to improve your relationship with them. There is improvement because you are not passive or neutral towards them. You have a purpose and remind yourself of it regularly to actively contribute positives into the relationship when you are with that being. The positives could be friendliness, truthfulness, generosity, patience, kindness, and so on. At the same time, you actively refrain from contributing negatives into the relationship. The effort is to make the relationship better from your side without depending on them. You help them to be well and happy and do not contribute to their difficulties or problems. One reason why our practices stop-start is that we fall into being passive or complacent. It is a strong habit for many persons to be on passive minds. Passive minds just sort of meander along with the view, she'll be right. They don't recognize that there is something to be done. They don't have any sense of urgency about improving our mind or using Buddhist practice to fix ourselves up. These minds let the negatives stream into our mental space because they don't have an agenda of positives to which they are committed. They are reactive minds which wait until something goes wrong before seeing it is the time to take action. They get angry first and then start practicing to remove the anger, thinking that this is Buddhist practice. They have to experience the danger up close before they are shaken out of their complacency. Such minds are not Dharma. These minds fritter our life away. Don't wait for the negatives to arise. Don't give them the space. Don't be neutral towards the being you are going to meet and be with. Have an agenda which requires you to be active, useful and alert. Taking this stand with each being you meet is a great blessing to you and to them. Develop a sense of gratitude to each being you meet. A life is completely dependent on the work and effort of other beings. So, is our future well-being? Without meeting others, how could we make merit? How could we practice the perfections? This will help maintain wholesomeness and avoid unwholesomeness. It is a teaching that brings many parts of Buddhist practice into one stream. This concludes Chapter 7 of the book titled Bringing Wisdom to Life. Thank you for listening to our Lifetimes of Learning podcast. To listen to other chapters of this book and our other recordings, please go to our website 
www.bdcu.org.au and click on Dharma Teachings. Or you can go to our online World Buddhist Radio station from our website by clicking on Buddhist Radio. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy.